Welcome back to the Social Work Me podcast with your host, Matt Barnes, and this is episode 30, and possibly one of my favorite interviews to date, which says a lot because I've had some really amazing guests on the show. Um, But today, I had the pleasure of sitting down and talking with Kate Becker all about EMDR and psychedelic-assisted psychotherapy, which personally are two things that I'm really passionate and interested in. And Kate is a licensed clinical social worker in a private practice in Connecticut. uh, And she's somebody that has been providing EMDR training and consultation for many, many years. And within the last five years has ventured out into the psychedelic assisted psychotherapy world. And Kate is also a certified yoga instructor. And on this episode, We talk a lot about a lot of different things, Um, but the overall theme is really about the use of EMDR and how to uh, use specific aspects of EMDR in the preparation integration phases of psychedelic assisted therapy, as well as a lot of information about pathways to become trained, opportunities to provide individual and also group therapy with psychedelics. And Kate is the perfect person to kind of educate us on these areas as she's had uh, two decades in the field um, as an EMDR therapist, an EMDR consultant, and now providing psychedelic assisted psychotherapy both in her practice in Connecticut using ketamine as well as psilocybin uh, at retreats in Jamaica. And so this episode super informative for anyone in the field looking at becoming a psychedelic assisted therapist or looking at building new tools, new ways to um, provide a great service and um, which includes the aftercare and the integration that goes with doing this work. Um, If you want to learn more about Kate, you can find her at katebeckerlcsw.com and there'll be links to her website as well as some additional resources in the show notes. And one quick sidebar, we did record this episode back in October, and so I'm not sure there's one piece where we talk about wait lists for MDMA therapy training at MAPS. I'm not sure where that's at right now, so I just wanted to mention that. But otherwise, I hope you enjoy this episode, this interview with Kate Becker. If you like the podcast, please give it a rating. Check out some of the behind the scenes content on Instagram and Facebook under the handle SocialWorkMe. And as always, this podcast would not be possible without the support of Southwest Counseling Services in Point Edward, Ontario. All right, let's get to the show with the amazing guest, Kate Becker. How does that make you feel? Don't social work me. (laughs) Hey, Kate. Hey. How's it going? Good. How are you, Matt? Good, thanks. Well, maybe I'll just kind of introduce you. I mean, I heard about you through the uh, and, uh, training on psychedelics and EMDR, and right. the trainer right. was sort of talking about some of your experience um, working in retreats. And so that's what really piqued my interest. And then I 
looked at your website and, and see all these great things that you're doing. So, you know, it looks like, you know, from your website, you're a licensed clinical social worker an EMDR certified therapist, uh, trainer, as well as a consultant for, for EMDR. Mm-hmm. And then these other great aspects of your, your work in, in terms of yoga and mm-hmm. incorporating that, which I'm really curious to hear about. And then, you know, uh, the psychedelic piece. So mm-hmm. overall, I'm really excited to talk to you. Um, Great. And um, if you could, could you maybe just catch us up to, you know, how did you get to this point in your career? Just a little bit about maybe your life and, and your, your path in social work. Um, okay. So I, uh, how did I get to here? Meaning working with psychedelics in particular? Yeah. yeah. And, and with the MDR too. I think that sounds like it's right. a good part. Right, right. I mean, I think that probably I was born a social worker, you know, in some ways, you know, that the the way that I am and the way I was, you know, five years old when I was writing letters to my friends that my mom still has, you know, I just always was kind of compassionate and coaching and, and supportive of people and wanted to help. But, you know, then, of course, there's the family experiences, et cetera, that chaos um, that was, you know, difficult. And, and my mom took me to learn transcendental meditation at 10 years old, which isn't, you know, an altered state on some level. Um, and so I, you know, I thought that that was really interesting and cool. Um, so I wanted to become a social worker when I was in college and, um, that we had a family tragedy and I just felt overwhelmed and couldn't like help myself. I was basically, in like a fog, a dissociative fog, I would say, you know, they didn't even have the PTSD term back then, but um, for a good five years. And so I changed my major to communications, you know, went to New York, worked in advertising. And then I came back to my lifelong dream of becoming a social worker in my thirties. And I wanted to work with trauma. I wanted to work with people with dissociation having had the experience of, you know, derealization and depersonalization um, myself. Uh, So, you know, becoming a social worker and then I I learned about EMDR. And when I I did EMDR and had it done on me, I couldn't believe how powerful and helpful it was. So I learned it and just began EMD, doing EMDR with everybody, you know, and I took an affinity to it. So personally, I mean, talk, talk therapy is great and it, it works, but, you know, I find that clients would stay stuck and they um, weren't moving, particularly clients with dissociation, with addiction, you know, because the walls are up and it would be hard to pull, help bring those walls down and, and give them a sense of safety to do EMDR. You know, even though there's protocols in EMDR that can really help you with that um, as a therapist, help you work with clients or clients that were still not able to and i remember one in particular who was you know human trafficked and um i just felt helpless to help her so then i learned about psychedelic assisted psychotherapy and how you know mdma creates a a, a, an environment of trust and appreciation and connection you know and um and you see this with psilocybin and with ketamine and um you know, this uh, is so powerful and it helps those people that were, you know, what we'd call treatment resistant. So I, you know, became involved with psychedelic assisted psychotherapy about five years ago or so. 
and it's it's really powerful and and so is emdr you know in combination they work really beautifully together and i, I want to hear more about how you use them together um but just before we get into that can you talk a little bit about um the training that you've been providing with hope around um the detour protocol and working with addictions and and those types of issues okay yeah sure so hope payson and i met I don't know, gosh, I don't know if it was 12 or 15 years ago. Um, and uh, we decided to start working together on this training and working particularly with addiction, both having had family members um, and loss, you know, around addiction. And so um, we train in detour, the feeling state protocol. We kind of help set up a whole system so that people can understand how to take history and which way to go. Do you want to work with detour, the feeling state? We also um, put together a protocol around motivational interviewing, which is is pretty hard to learn. It sounds very intuitive if you read a book, but it's not really natural. Um, so we put together a script and a protocol people can use, you know, for motivational interviewing. Uh, now detour uh, is wonderful. Pop keys. You know, um, sadly, we lost him recently, uh, but what a gift he was to the EMDR community in creating Detour. And Detour is, I find it to be a very easy protocol where you ask a person to um, bring up the trigger, sit with the trigger, and then you add the eye movements and or tapping, you know, with that trigger so that the person has to like what they call surf the whole wave, you know, of the trigger and uh, run the whole story. You know, that's what they say in the rooms um, so that they don't, their emotional brain normally gets hijacked by the trigger. They run out and want to go use, you know, so the dopamine starts rushing before they're getting the reward so that the excitement anticipation of the reward kind of drives the person and that craving. So we're having them sit in the room with us and sit with that craving and it passes you know kind of like emotions have a beginning middle and end so do cravings and so by having them sit with the craving we're beginning to connect that neural network of consequences you know with the craving and it seems to tighten it you know where the person can go to feel the craving and have a stronger connection to those consequences so the idea of like just say no you know that's great but People have a hard time accessing their thinking brain when they're they're in their emotional craving brain. You know, one is one is hot and the other is not. And having them both online, you know, uh, at the same time during the the detour, you know, seems to increase that connection and neural network to seeing the um, consequences and that it's not worth it and desensitize that craving. So feeling and being with it, it seems to like desensitize it. Just as we desensitize maladaptive beliefs around trauma, the, the craving being feeling positive and good is really maladaptive. And so the brain, you know, in its inner healing can know this is not positive. This is leading me down the wrong path. So it's a great protocol. It can be used for, you know, other um, presentations, you know, but it's particularly trained you know for use with addiction or compulsive behaviors wow that's an awesome breakdown thanks for sharing that 
And I guess at some point you and Hope, um, you sort of go the psychedelic route. Are you guys still doing your training with the detour protocol? And um, it's still available online and you can get it on Hope's website, my website. Um, I just found the travel to be a lot. It was just too much. And strangely enough, the last one that I had planned to do together jointly was in February 2020. Uh, right before the pandemic. So we were in Salt Lake City and Hope's still been doing the training. Um, she has, I don't know if she's traveled much for it or, or you know, doing it online. I mean, she's brilliant. I would definitely try to see her in person if you could or online. And uh, I'm going for a hike with her tomorrow. <laughs> so we're still really good friends and colleagues. Um, so yeah, we, we, we may do some things in conjunction together. You know, we're kind of at the, you know, still turning the corner, you know, on the pandemic. So we're not quite sure. Yeah. And I've gone down this route of doing the psychedelic, interested in psychedelic assisted psychotherapy. Um, and so this is a different path for me. And I, it, you know, so exciting and powerful, um, that I'm sort of putting a little more focus on, on this work yeah. now. Well, and that's, that's a perfect segue. And I think for a lot of people, there's a lot of unknowns about which path within the psychedelic space to go, like which training to attend, or, you know, there's wait lists for the MAPS training. And we're seeing some other ones with Theracil and CIS. And can you just talk a little bit about your path in with psychedelics and becoming a, a psychedelic assisted psychotherapist? Yeah, yeah, sure. So I, um, having, you know, been so passionate about working with PTSD and trauma, a friend uh, came up to me in yoga class and he has a place out here in the country. He's a New Yorker and he was a, he's a MAPS MDMA assisted psychotherapist and worked in uh, trials with clients and or participants in the study. And he said, Kate, you have to get involved in this. This is amazing. And um, I'm, I was like, wait, what? <laughs> ecstasy, you know, with therapy. And I'm sitting there in yoga class and I had dragged my daughter with me who was 17 and he was talking about how great ecstasy was. I was like, wait a minute, stop. You know, I want to put my hands over her ears. And um, anyway, I, you know, started to read about it and I couldn't believe, you know, what the data was showing, which is incredible. Uh, you know, the percentage of people, it's, you know, like, um, it depends on which study you're looking at, but like 65 to 80, you know, 80 plus percent, you know, no longer meeting criteria for PTSD, you know, after, you know, doing the study. So I thought this is amazing. Um, and I got really excited about it. And I remembered back to my own experience, you know, in my twenties and uh, thinking I was gonna go out and listen to music like young people do, you know, using this substance. <laughs> and I ended up like looking at the stars and having a really powerful healing experience. Uh, and it was, and you know, it was, it was incredible and it, it did begin that trajectory, you know, for me. So anyway, I had some personal experience, um, and then reading all of this information, I got excited. I volunteered for maps. Um, I several different ca capacities. I did volunteer work with them. Uh, and then I was trained by maps. Um, back when it was in person, I went out to California for a week and did that 40 hour, you know, training that you're saying now there's a wait list, I guess. Um, but get on the wait list. I recommend that. It's a great training and, um, 
Yeah, you know, I, I, I think that that wait list might move faster than you think it, it's going to because they're really training hundreds of people, hundreds and hundreds of people, and they, they foresee needing thousands of therapists. Wow. Uh, so anyway, I was trained by MDMA with it, MAPS, um, and so I'm a I'm therapist in training right now. And then, um, you know, knowing that I wasn't able to work on that because there was no clinical trial right here, I got trained in ketamine. So I worked with, I went and uh, trained in New York with the Ketamine Training Center. They're out of California, Phil Wolfson and Jelaine Andres. Uh, and, you know, it's exciting. Ketamine is legal, so you can begin working with it right away. I networked with um, psychiatrists um, that were prescribing and began sitting for ketamine. And um, that's, I think that's a great way to go um, to get started because it is legal. I'm assuming Canada as well, you're seeing. Yeah. I actually, um, I just finished my ketamine training and just had my experiential component last weekend. So I can oh, you did. Yeah, it was an amazing experience and it's totally legal in Canada. Yeah. Okay. So did you have what lozenges or I am? Um, it was, it's just um, the oral pill. Um, yeah. Lozenge or pill. Right. It's, it's not the lozenge because from my understanding, the lozenge, you kind of swish it around and then you spit it out. This was just a normal, regular capsule. And oh, like, and you swallow it. Yeah, you swallow it and it's it was 150 milligrams was the dose that I took for my okay. my training. So you, had a, you had a psychedelic experience. I did. I was surprised by how psychedelic it felt. Right, right. Yeah. 150 is a good dose. Okay, that's yeah, that's um and it was about two hours, a two hour long trip. Right, right. And did you get some work done? I did actually. Yeah. So my wife and I are, are got the training together. So she was my therapist, which was interesting. Huh. And, then, and then the, um, the psychologist that we trained under Tatiana uh, Zadib, um, she was there as well as sort of a co coach therapist mm -hmm. with my wife. So, yeah. Yeah. So it was a really great experience. And I actually felt the effects of like just a real calming effect for about four or five days afterwards. And, you know, I think we worked, I worked through some, some stuff in the session, which was really nice. Right. Right. Yeah. I think what's so, um, amazing my ketamine is like you said, it kind of, you have that effect for a few days. And what I, I noticed is that even maybe the day after, not as much, but within, you know, 72 hours, I think it peaks, you know, some of the benefit after a few days. And I'll notice that I can sort of just be more in my thinking brain you know, and set things aside, not get as easily kind of triggered by, you know, one of my kids calling me up and, you know, giving me a hard time about something. Yeah. So it really does seem to, you know, yeah, do what they say it does. And that is, you know, get you in your free prefrontal cortex and just um, able to, you know, kind of like take things more lightly. Mm -hmm. That was the biggest thing I noticed was my patience with my kids. So I have two and a three-year-old and it's full on. And I just noticed the whole week afterwards, just really calm. Like you said, able to really think really clearly and, and calm myself down. And so I don't know if it was a combination of the ketamine, but also having worked through some, some deeper things, mm -hmm. you know, probably both, but I had a really positive experience of it. Right, right. That's great. Um, yeah, in my training, we also did IM. Okay. So 
sometimes like, yeah. Um, and you know, that's what I, I liked about the ketamine training centers that we did have that experience. And that is like a complete ego dissolution. I'm not saying that that's more beneficial. Um, but you know, it was good to have had that experience. I don't know if you have or ever had an e total ego dissolution experience. Um, but you know, it's pretty intense. Actually, I have to say it was almost like a little, um anxiety provoking like a little bit traumatic in the days after because it was just like oh my god i was completely disconnected from i didn't you know like there was no i didn't know what a human was i heard my name my last name beating in the background what is that so it was just you know really pretty intense um and i would say difficult you know we would say there's not bad trips there's difficult trips and then it morphed into a really beautiful um experience i ended up in Maya, which I was like, where am I? This is crazy. Um, and I figured this is what I think they call Maya, which apparently can be a theme, you know, with, with ketamine. Uh, and, you know, anyway, I think that that experience was helpful to help clients who have had tr difficult um, psychedelic experiences. So, yeah, so um, your question was about my training um, and, you know, getting to where I am. I think having you know, an affinity to the medicines is important, um, working with what you believe in um, and, you know, beginning to do preparation and integration work. And you can really use any therapies that you know, you know, to help people prepare and integrate. I find EMDR is, you know, especially helpful, um, you know, in working and integrating and preparing uh, clients for their experiences. Mm. But, I'm sure there's other therapies that are, 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 you know, very applicable. Yeah. And I'm curious, you know, I want to talk about integrating EMDR, but just in terms of the actual sessions that you're taking the psychedelics, what's uh, like with your, your approach, is there a lot of psychotherapy happening? Is it more non-directive? Because from my, what I understand, there's a a huge variety of different approaches during the actual psychedelic sessions. Mm -hmm. Well, I think it depends on which medicine. Um, so with ketamine, uh, I think that it, you have a little bit less ability to direct it. Um, I love the way Raquel Bennett talks about the medicines. And so she she said, uh, you know, on a weirdness scale, you have MDMA kind of weird, psilocybin weirder and then ketamine like can be really weird uh so ketamine i think you know it can be a little bit harder to and and yeah you know we, the non-directive approach um i would say for all of them you know is is going to be most beneficial unless somebody's in a lot of distress you know and you're trying to help ground them you know can always bring in grounding but you know, leaning back on that concept of the inner healing intelligence and that the medicine is going to give you what you need, not necessarily what you want. Um, so I believe in that non-directive approach. Um, certainly, like with ketamine, if somebody, uh, you know, I'll ask them before, would you like me to bring up your intentions while you're, you know, taking the medicine? And um, Usually people will say, yes, I would like you to do that. And I will bring up the intentions and they can just, 
can't connect at all, you know, with those intentions um, because they're kind of, you know, just, you know, um, you know, off on, on whatever it is that they're thinking about and that's strongly pulling them, you know, toward that. Uh, you know, and then of course, ketamine is a little more of a like dissociative um, effect, you know, dissociative meaning a little positively in a positive way, a bit of a disconnection, you know, from the body. Um, I am not my body and an ability to kind of look at what they may want to look at. So, yeah, I just worked with somebody yesterday who was, um, who took ketamine and had said, I don't want to forgive my parents. I don't even want to think about that. That's not my intention. I want to just be about trusting myself. And so, so when I brought up the intentions, I mean, all she could do was think about her parents the whole time. You know, the thought about trusting herself was, I mean, I think it was probably part of it, you know, underneath, but it was really, it just had pulled her to all of this work around her parents. And she saw some things with some really positive and a positive way clarity, you know, that she, one of her intentions is to bring more joy into her life. And she had this really clear recognition that joy is something her mother never seemed to experience. She saw that she had had it with her father, never with her mother. And so she realized like, wow, I'm seeking something I was really never taught or shared with my mom. So, you know, anyway, so the non-directive, you know, tends to be, I think the overall approach, um, you know, I find with psilocybin down in Jamaica, um, people can maybe think back about their intentions. Again, they, um, they ask, would you like me to bring them up with you, you know, when you're, you know, during this journey and they can touch on them but sometimes they have the same experience where it's like, this is drawing me, I'm going in this other path. Um, but it seems to be helpful, uh, almost like EMDR and that dual awareness that occurs, you know, where your part of you is in the present and a part is in the trauma or the memory. So when you have somebody in this expanded state of consciousness, a part of them knows they're in this expanded state of consciousness and just took mushrooms. And then a part of them looks at the trauma and it changes it. You know, every time we remember something, it's going to look different. Uh, and and so by having them maybe just look at their intention, um, maybe that's working on a trauma for a moment or two. You know, you can get something very positive um, happening for them. But I think that being very I, I, I'm not on directive. I, I don't really know of many trainings that are directive um, for, you know, when working with psychedelics. Um, but, you know, if somebody's feeling really anxious, feels like they are in the trauma again, you know, I think something like holding a hand, like, would you like me to hold your hand? That can really change and help ground them. So, um, it's, it's, it feels like with, um, you know, psilocybin in particular, there can be a real embodiment of the, the trauma memory. And, um, you know, by holding a hand, just reminding them, you know, that they're okay um, and that they can breathe or whatever grounding you've set up with them prior to the session, um, that can help calm them. So, nice. uh, yeah. Yeah, no, that's a great answer. And I guess it just comes back to it's client centered and client driven. And absolutely. Yeah. 
I have a colleague that's doing ketamine assisted therapy and she's been trained with a different model and they're really encouraged to keep the eye shade on for most of the session and sort of going, it's more of an internal process. Whereas the training I have is more um, psychotherapeutic in a sense of we're having a treatment planning session. And then, like you said, sort of bringing up the intentions or the goals. And if they want to talk about them, we can, um, So yeah, I think that's, it's really interesting to hear other approaches. Yeah. And I think it's good to be trained in a couple of different approaches. You know, um, one's not always the best or only way and what a client might need one week could be different from, you know, a couple of months, but again, you know, you can kind of, you know, experiment, you know, like, um, they say in sensory motor psychotherapy, you know, you can experiment, have people to do what they call like little experiments, you know, try breathing. Um, maybe not so much with ketamine because ketamine's, you know, you have that anesthesia kind of experience. So I usually don't bring people back to breath with ketamine. Um, but you know, they can experiment with this, um, you know, different, different ways of grinding themselves or, or looking at, at their issues. So, uh, I mean, this is such a kind of new field in a way, you know, um, and, you know, I say it's kind of not because people have been using mushrooms for 4,000 years BC right. <laughs> to suggest. So, I, you know, it seems like it needs to be what feels right for the therapist. The most of, I think set, one of the most important parts is, you know, set and setting and that therapist feeling comfortable with that, what they're doing and the therapy that, that they have the strongest affinity to is going to be like the energy that they put out, um, you know, and what the the client feels. Yeah, that's a great point. And in, in your experience, have you been doing group psychedelic sessions? Is that what, what it's like at the retreat center in Jamaica or is it individual sessions as well? It is, um, it is group. It starts as a group, all 12, there's a maximum of 12 people um you know that come down per retreat and so everyone's in a big room together you can see pictures of the room on the website uh and so we start as a group and so we we work individually with people in preparation and integration and we work um with them as a group also so you know one thing that's really nice about jamaica is that connection with others which I think is a big benefit people aren't necessarily going to attend for, but, you know, is, you know, something that they get out of it and that, you know, they're going to a place far away where other people are going to talk about their struggles and, you know, be able to, you know, be in this shared experience, you know, cause we all suffer in one way or another and, and have that kind of connection. So, so anyway, we start as a group, and then often people will need some individual attention. And so you're working with people on an individual basis. We have three therapists for the 12 participants. And then we have two other support people. So there's five people working for Ottman Retreat, you know, to the 12 people that are journeying. So we've got a lot of, of support and the time. So sometimes you may see that there's two of us working with one person. Mm-hmm. Uh, so people, you know, seem to really get what they need in terms of the attention and support. 
So yeah, we end up really working both ways, you know, as a group and, and individually. Nice. Well, it looks like a really diverse group of staff there, facilitators. And actually I, lo- I saw the founders lives not too far from me in Toronto. Yes. Yeah, he does. Yeah. yeah. It looks like yeah. a beautiful place. Yeah. Yeah. It is beautiful. Right. And he's, yep. He's a great guy. Um, and, um, yeah, it's a wonderful retreat. I'm going in January. I'm really excited to do two retreats down there. How often are you down there? Well, uh, you know, it was, um, I went, let's say, I don't know, three times in one year and then the pandemic hit, you know, so I was down there actually when the pandemic hit. So when everyone was flying back from Europe to the United States, and I'm sure back to Canada, we were down there like welcoming people, um, you know, around March 17th, 6th, I don't know. We, I got back on the 22nd, I think of March. So we had a retreat going down there when the pandemic, um, you know, when everything was happening here. Um, that's the last time I was there, but I'm looking forward to getting back there. Yeah, in January. But he's got them going, you know, all year. Mm. So, yeah, nice. if you're interested, you just Google Upman Retreat in Jamaica. Yeah, yeah. No, it's really cool. Yeah. So, yeah, so that's, it's great to hear about different approaches during the psychedelic sessions. And let's talk a little bit about how you've merged or married, I guess, EMDR with preparation and integration. Okay. What does yeah, that look yeah. like? Yeah, you know what, the other thing is I didn't mention before is you were talking about approaches with, you know, the medicines and non directive approach Um, when so when I went to the training for maps, um, Michael and Annie metaphor who's the you know lead researchers for maps MDMA they used a very non directive approach Um, and so you know in that training. It's worthwhile to get on the waiting list, there was a lot of um, videos of them working with people. And it just incredibly beautiful work, you know, and, and about just, like you said, letting the client lead, being with them, um, you know, seeing the trust that, um, you know, that bond that was occurring between them. And uh, Michael just, you know, I had some, I took notes somewhere, you know, of all the different things he said and the way he said them, but, you know, like, I want to understand as best as best as I can, you know, tell me more. Um, Yeah. And so I just keep a visual in my mind that I'm walking down a path with my client and I'm trying to look through their eyes. You know, I'm always trying to look through their eyes at how they're seeing what's in front of them so that I can sort of be in it with them as much as I can. Um, Yeah. So, you know, it's just much different than talk therapy. I wouldn't bring in um, any kind of joke, you know, necessarily like, you know, you don't talk, start talking about Seinfeld or something, you know, you, you want to really be with them in where they are and like read the reflecting back. Um, so anyway, I wanted to mention that because I did talk about ketamine. I talked about psilocybin, but yeah, you can see with MDMA, you know, it's definitely about um, like, you know, we talk about EMDR, staying out of the way of, and of processing. Yeah. Mm. Um, yeah. And allowing the process to occur and being with them in it. So it's a conceptually kind of similar uh, about staying out of the way. Yeah. Mm. There's a lot of crossover. And right. 
I guess before we, I guess again, before we get into integration preparation, do you ever use EMDR in a psychedelic session? During the session itself, uh, I will use some of the language. I've tried it. I've tried with, um, you know, bilateral eye movements and tapping, you know, and it doesn't, people don't seem to connect with it. So again, that's kind of being directive. Um, yeah, and I haven't found that actually doing like the phase four, but in phase three, you know, where we are doing the assessment, what's the image that represents the worst part of this? What is the negative belief, you know, that you have about yourself? Um, that those I find to be very helpful um, during a session because you're being you're with them. What are the emotions you feel right now? Is there a place you feel that in your body? Again, I don't really bring up the body much with ketamine because people have some distance from it. But emotions, cognitions, sensations, um, even maybe a future template, you know, how can you imagine yourself, you know, looking at this, um, you know, tomorrow, or, you know, from a different angle, I mean, they're usually they're in the different angle, and it's happening naturally. Mm-hmm. But you know, like you know, yesterday with a woman who kept thinking about her mother. Um, and you know, this mother being joyless. Um, I asked, and um, what do you, what is the belief you have about yourself as you look at this? And so that is that phase three question. And she said, I'm afraid that I can't, that I'm just going to be so serious. I can't do it. I don't know how to be joyful. And then when she said that, she said, but wait, my dad did. I've been thinking about that. And I'm like, okay, just let's, and I use the same language, go with that. And that means go back in with the eye shades and continue your ketamine session. So I find the phase three language, you know, bringing people back to their emotion sensations and, and that belief about themselves mm-hmm. that makes at the heart of it, because it, you know, does, I, you know, I find it centers around those three realms we look at with EMDR, you know, defectiveness, control and power or safety. Mm. And so I, may ask that how does that feel right now for you does it feel unsafe or like you don't have control something's wrong you know with you people can name it usually instead of I feel like they're getting to that heart of you know what's happening under the surface for them and then move from there wow yeah it sounds like EMDR just gives a perfect framework for psychedelic therapy I feel like it really does and I think that you know if you look at the underlying models you know, of, of the two. So um, psychedelic assisted psychotherapy being about inner, inner healing intelligence, you know, to put it in the, the easiest framework, you know, in a dialing back of a fear response, you know, an increasing of, um, you know, moving through difficulty and moving toward positive. This seems to happen, you know, with psychedelics um, when the set and the setting are good and the support is, is strong. Um, and so with EMDR, you know, it's very similar, the underlying model being adaptive information processing, you know, maladaptively instored information, you know, is, um, is um, moved through by bringing in the bilateral stimulation, eye movements or tapping. And that seems to do sort of like what we're looking at with psychedelics, and that is reduce the fear response. Turn by dial back the amygdala, 
bring more access to the prefrontal cortex and thinking brain and um, connection with present safety, you know, present control um, and um, feeling that you're adequate or you're good enough. So the underlying models, you know, seem to be very similar in that, you know, that we have this capacity for inner healing just as our and these are our bodies, you know, like everyone, people will say, you know, the cut on your skin and it heals itself. You don't tell your white blood cells to go there. It just happens. I mean, this is our, our bodies, you know, the same thing. It's like um, the, the receptors, you know, seem to want to move and work in a way that's going to be healthiest for them. I love how you break that down. That's perfect. Thank you. <laughs> so, and then I guess preparation and integration is so important. Mm -hmm. Can you talk a little bit about how you bring in EMDR into those phases of the, the, the psychedelic work? Yes. Yep. Sure. So in preparation, so within psychedelic work, people um, talk in more in terms of like intentions, you know, typically in the training, it was in your training. Did they use that terminology? We talked more about goals for the okay. session, but intentions yeah. definitely came up in, in that conversation. Right, right. I like the idea of both, you know, intentions, but goals also can be a little bit more tangible, you know, when you break them down into like objectives. Um, so, you know, so in preparation, we're trying to look at what the goals are and the intentions are and, um, you know, how kind of realistic are they entirely? And what does what would life look like? Um, how would it be different? So, um, so anyway, so for pre preparation, um, I, I find that, you know, working on goals and intentions, um, as you would with any, any um, client, I don't think I need to really talk about that too much. But, you know, typically what I'll find is people are anxious about the psychedelic experience. So that anxiety can be a target that you can use with EMDR. Um, you know, so down in Jamaica, I did this with several people who were pretty anxious, you know, about taking mushrooms, you know, who wouldn't be? Yeah. I mean, it's, yeah, you know, it's pretty, um, pretty intense. You're going to kind of go meet your subconscious, unconscious material, pull up the veils between the physical, spiritual worlds, you know, and it seems like, um, it, for many people, it's, they're scared. So I will sit with them and do, um, um a target their present anxiety you know is there an image that represents the worst part of this right now as you're feeling it right now what's the negative belief you have about yourself and people will go to all of those like three realms i talked about some people say like something's wrong with me that i have to be here and do this like i'm not good enough mm -hmm. um i've heard people say oh my god i'm not gonna have any control i feel like i'll be out of control and then people you know will say that um you know, they're, not, they're afraid of not being safe. Am I safe? And so by running the EMDR and doing the eye movements and tapping, I mean, I've, I have had basically 100% people reduce their anxiety. I'm not looking to get it to a zero, but you know, if you can go from an eight to a four, mm -hmm. usually you get people down to at least a two, they're a lot less anxious. So I'm helping their, their mindset, you know? So we talk about set and setting in this work and we're really helping bring them down because they've chosen, they know they've chosen to come and do this, you know? And um, so a big part of them, you know, wants to be doing, wants to mm. be doing. It. 
So we move through that. So I'll help, um, you know, in that kind of preparation. Um, the control piece is interesting because I guess to have a really positive experience, there is an aspect of having to let go of control. But then when you have traumatized clients, they've lost so much control in the past. So right. it's a, right, right. Sounds like so a struggle. Yeah, yeah. Um, but you know, reminding them that it's not worse than anything about they're already experiencing. They're already at the point of, you know, feeling so out of control by their symptoms or what's going on for them that they've made the decision. So there is control in deciding to relinquish control. Good, good you know? point. <laughs> you, can, you can get them there, but usually their own brain gets them there. You know, I'm taking this and, and you know, what's so amazing about EMDR too, is that it's very bonding and it creates trust and people will feel their bodies calming. You're sitting with them in it. So it's a relationship building. You know, I think that some therapists try to small talk or get to know each other before doing the work, really the work builds the relationship. And by, you know, sitting with them and their anxiety and having them, you know, begin do the work and do the eye movements, you know, I think that it increases that trust and, um, you know, helps them feel more adapted to you and to their setting. So, um, yeah, so as far as preparation, and then of course, you know, if somebody's afraid a big trauma is gonna come up during um, a psychedelic session, you can begin doing the trauma work with EMDR. Um, if somebody is looking to um, stop using substances or a process addiction, you know, you can do like the detour, the feeling state protocols to begin to desensitize uh, the cravings and urges or help them have a better understanding of their cravings and urges. Um, you know, you can do future templates you know, how would you like to see yourself? How would you want to hold yourself as you, um, you know, are drinking the tea or putting the lozenge in your mouth? What might you say to yourself? You know, what affirmation may you have? So you can run, you know, like short future templates or movies, you know, around it. It's helping people to begin to embody um, and, um, yeah, have some some sense of control. Yeah. That's amazing. Yeah. yeah. That sounds so helpful for preparation. Yeah. Yeah. Um, and then for integration, um, you know, there's so much that you can do. Um, certainly people have powerful and positive and inspiring experiences with psychedelics and we can use resource development to help them with that integration. Um, so for example, um, I had a client who had this experience, um, you know, down in Jamaica, feeling like an absolutely divine being. You know, I am, I'm divinity, I'm a divine being. And how can, you know, when I've been created this way, and how can I poison myself with alcohol? I'm a divine being. But when, she, you know, coming back to regular life, you know, regular default mode network, there were still those triggers. And so by sitting with and doing the resource development work after helping her to continue to integrate and remember that feeling, that embodiment of I am a divine being, which is something you can't put into words. You know, there's the ineffability, but she could fully feel this, 
and it was really empowering. So, so resourcing in that way, you know, what's inspiring, what's helpful. Um, and then also working with what's challenging. Um, so many, many, I would think people maybe listening to this are, are many people working in, you know, the West where these substances are not legal. We're getting calls from clients that have had difficult experiences with psychedelics. So um, it's EMDR can be really useful because it's almost like a trauma. Mm-hmm. I had a, um, a woman call who, I mean, I've had several, but this was interesting. And she, it had been 17 years since she took and did an LSD trip back with friends. And it was traumatizing for her. And she, she couldn't put her finger on it. Couldn't, you know, it was ineffable again, what mm-hmm. this experience, but it was this it thing she called an it. And I, I, you know, it just, it was an alone and it was, you know, she felt it in her in her chest, you know, and all of her torso, this it feeling whenever she thought about that and it's something that's kind of haunted her. And so what I did was instead of targeting that it, we did a float back on it, on it. Mm-hmm. We did a float back on that physical feeling and it went back to her childhood and her knowing her father's drinking was out of control. Um, the parents are divorced. She's an only child, had to go spend weekends with the dad and would be really afraid to get in the car with him. We told some adults they didn't believe her, but do you see how it was like a secret that she had that felt like this haunting feeling? So by doing the float back and doing the trauma work around these childhood experiences, it generalized to the LSD. So mm-hmm. trip and that, so during that trip was like a culmination of her traumas. Um, that showed up as a symbol as like this it and and you know during the LSD experience she was with friends you know they couldn't help her with it but it helped clear you know that trauma um I've had other people you know ketamine um people have prescriptions or doing at home alone um and I've had a couple of people feel like they're going to die um even though at these prescribed um amount, amounts of ketamine um, it does not suppress respiratory. It can feel like it, you know, because of the anesthesia. And so people have felt like they can't breathe and had some panic, you know, that they're not able to breathe or that they're going to die. Mm-hmm. And so by, you know, targeting that with the MDR and moving, uh, people are able to move through it and can see the panic is about, you know, other things It shows up some sort of symbolically, like I'm out of control. Um, it can lead us down to those paths of what's making them, you know, feel out of control. And um, so, yeah, EMDR is is really um, helpful, I think, in that way um, for integration. I mean, it's it's like, you know, it's it, there's just so many applications for it that, yeah, well, I think it's really creative. Yeah. Yeah. And it's fascinating that you're helping them integrate like for your present clients that you're doing the ketamine with these recent events, these recent psychedelic trips, but then also with other clients decades ago experiences. Yeah. That's cool. Mm-hmm. Right on. <laughs> <laughs> so, yeah, this is great. It's so good to talk to you. Um, but I guess we're, we're kind of coming up on, on an hour here and I, I there's a couple uh-huh questions I'd like to ask everybody. Um, 
especially I think these for, for newer social workers, newer therapists, they always really like these questions. So um, what advice do you have for new social workers or new practitioners who want to get into the psychedelic psychotherapy field? Mm-hmm. What advice do I have? Yeah, there's, they're probably a bit overwhelmed by all the trainings when they look right. Uh, and I mean, I, I, of course, I know what I know and what I did, and I, I feel like it worked. Um, and so, um, you know, ketamine, I think, was a really good way to get started because it's legal. Um, it's becoming more popular. Um, and if you can go like you did and have the experiential experience of the psychedelic experience, um, then you can become an integration provider. Um, you know, once you get a little bit of training and some experience under your belt, MAPS has an, um, an integration list, um, psychedelic support, another integration list where you can become named as a provider once you have some training. So beginning to do integration preparation work with people. Um, so I think ketamine is a good way to get started. Find a training where you can have that experiential component to it and, um, you know, ask other people, you know, what if they recommend the training. Um, I I worked with a consultee up in Canada and I said, you know, what about Theracil? I don't know how the wait list is for Theracil, but, you know, I think I'd be on that wait list if I was up there, um, you know, to begin to do to do that work. Um, you know, and then getting trained by MAPS, you know, MAPS is probably going to be managing, I think it's like five years, I don't know exactly, five to seven years or something that they're going to be, yeah, um, kind of overseeing, you know, the um, rollout of MDMA-assisted psychotherapy. So, and I, and I thought it was really good training as well. It's now online. Um, so, you know, that's the way that I went. In doing this and i feel a little bit like i got lucky you know that Ottman retreat found me asked me to go and facilitate for them but i think that there are some i mean Ottman does not have volunteers really but i think there's some retreat centers that do take volunteers when i went to the maps training there were therapists that had worked down in mexico mm. you know and, and and in south america with ayahuasca and iboga and um yeah, which I think is, you know, I, I began, you know, so the promise of that, I, I don't have an experience with that. That's exciting. You know, it'd be help people with opioid addiction as well. Um, you know, maybe, maybe there's a way to work with ayahuasca, you know, volunteering. Mm. Um, but, I, you know, I did have to put in some volunteer time. And I know it's hard, like here you are, you know, two young kids and, you know, you're working full time. It's hard to find that extra time, mm. um, you know, but that was a way that I kind of got in by doing, you know, some volunteer work, um, you know, so. The Zendo project, I think, is always looking yes. for. Volunteers. That's great. Yes, yes. And I know many people have gone and done that, you know, and they're right. Maybe you can get trained by Zendo, which would be great. Good idea. And then you're at like Burning Man and you go to actual festivals and things from what I understand. I haven't done it. but Yes, yes. I have a friend who's done that, you know, she's a little bit of a hippie in her seventies at Burning Man and yeah, supporting people, you know, in their trips there um, with Zendo, you know, which is awesome. Uh, so that's a great idea. How important do you think it is for um, 
therapists that want to provide psychedelic psychotherapy to have kind of an existing um, practice in therapy, like outside of psychedelics? Do you think that's important to have prior to getting into this? this area? Um, yeah, I think that you want to be comfortable working with dissociation and um, addiction. That's going to show up a lot. Um, it just does. And I know some therapists don't want to work with addiction at all, but it is in every, uh, you know, almost every family somewhere or somehow compulsive compulsivity. So in addiction is dissociation. You know, I think on some level people have to dissociate in order to be doing something that's, you know, not really working for them. So the training and dissociation, I think is important. And, you know, I think EMDR, um, you know, because we are have, asking people to look at their trauma, it, it does can get the therapist out of their comfort zone. Um, and it's, um, you know, I think that that's really important because you may be pulled out of your comfort zone at times when people are using psychedelics. Um, yeah, I mean, you know, we talk about being on the window of tolerance. We want our clients to be kind of at the edge of the window of tolerance, you know, to get the work done. Sometimes we're going to find ourselves there at the edge of the window of tolerance. So the more that we are comfortable with, um, you know, these kind of extreme um, affect that, that clients may experience, clients with PTSD and dissociation, um, I think that that helps set you up better to work within psychedelics um, mm. because people can um, have pretty intense experiences. You know, like down in Jamaica, uh, you know, there was a, a man who really thought the perpetrator, he, he didn't really think it, but he, it seemed as though the perpetrator was in the room, you know, his childhood sexual abuser. And, um, you know, I um, was holding his hand and he knew that it he knew on some level it's not, but this, you know, feels intense, you know, for his body feeling. It was like holding my hand really strongly. And, um, you know, we were able to help him move through that by just keeping myself in my window of tolerance to hold his hand and the other wonderful therapists there supporting um, him as well. So, wow. Yeah, well, so you want to be able to work with people's range of affect. Mm -hmm. um, yeah. And that's a perfect segue into my last question around like you see so much and hear so much as a therapist. And I'm just wondering, how do you prevent, manage, mitigate burnout and vicarious trauma? Um, well, you know, the self-care is so important. Um, and I think a morning routine for me is very important. Uh, so I personally kind of do a little bit of an Ayurveda routine. And this isn't much time, but I do the tongue scraping and dry brushing, you know, not every day, but I don't know if you're familiar with that. No, oh, no, I've never heard of this. Get a, get a tongue scraper. Okay. You do that, you scrape your tongue and you get all that stuff out of your mouth in the morning before you brush your teeth. Um, dry brushing is another Ayurveda um, practice. It's basically like a hairbrush, but you brush your skin and it just makes all the nerve endings in your body kind of wake up. Um, it's really good for your skin and your nervous system. And then I do a, a Kundalini routine every morning now. So, you know, it, it changes, you know, sometimes right now I'm into the Kundalini and I've been doing that for about a year. It could be from 10 minutes to 30 minutes. Um, you know, but anyway, I found a couple of YouTubes that I really like, or I do my own. I studied it on my own. I'm a 500 hour yoga teacher too. 
So I do that practice. It's a, it's a movement and breath work at the same time. Um, and so I usually do breath work. If I don't have time for the Kundalini, I at least do some breath work, um, Kundalini breath work. So like alternate nostril breathing um, with retention or a cannon breath. And that really helps kind of just set my nervous system, um, wake me up, you know, get me into an even state. Then I have my coffee, you know, um, you know, and then I do my own um, therapy work, you know. So I've definitely had clients who've seen things that have been really difficult for me where I've been up at night. So I've had to get my own EMDR. Um, I think the flash technique is awesome. Phil Manfields, you're familiar. Yeah. So yeah. for non-EMDR therapists, that's a, that's a great um, therapy to be able to integrate with people as well. Yeah. Um, yeah. And I think having fun, you know, having something fun and laughter is helpful too. I just started playing pickleball. I'm having so much fun. I know That's it's the rolling. biggest rage right now. I'm like the oldest, yeah. And I'm like I'm the I'm the youngest person, okay. you know. There, it's so funny. And like an 85 year old guy beat me the other day. So it is a blast. So no matter your age, um, you know, just something that's kind of fun as well, you know. Um, so that's amazing advice. I'm going to look up some of the, the cannon breath sounds cool. I've never heard of that. Cannon breath is cool. I'll see, I can send you a YouTube. This, this woman is really powerful. She's a Russian yoga um, teacher. She's got some nice, um, yeah, really nice um, Kundalini. Um, yeah. That I that love really powerful. Yeah. Wow. So that's, that's what I'm doing now. And, and I think, you know, it sometimes it changes, you know, sometimes things will, like, um, you know, maybe I'll start doing more. Um, I still do transcendental meditation a few times a week. Usually that's in the afternoon. You know, just depending, you kind of got to go with the seasons as well. You know, our bodies change and our needs change. Um, so finding something that works for you, um, I think, as far as a morning routine and then getting the therapy. And I've had many clients that are therapists and done EMDR on their vicarious trauma. Mm. Nice. As well. And many ketamine, um, you know, clients as well that are therapists um, that have worked through, you know, pretty tra traumatic, vicarious material. So. Wow. Well, that's amazing uh, advice. Thank you so much, Kate. Well, and are you taking on new consultees for EMDR and, and clients? Like if people want to get in touch with you, I guess, um, is that something you're, you're offering or are you? I mean, I'm pretty booked right now, but you know, you can reach out and um, I don't have consultation groups. There are many out there. People are, and I think a groups can be really great. I, I do work um, with some people in individual consultation and um, yeah, the clients, yeah, it's all about timing, right? Yeah. What's the best way for people to reach out to you or get in touch with you? Um, I have a website, um, katebeckerlcsw.com. And so you can, um, there's an email link there. And there's also a link to the training, you know, that Hope and I did, um, that Mark Nickerson still kind of manages um, the execution of, but it would, um, you know, bring you to that. So people are interested in that one day training. Also look at Hope's website. She's got her EMDR and addiction. She's probably doing offering something. I'll find out. Find out tomorrow. Find out tomorrow. Yeah. 
Well, then I guess they can catch you in Jamaica and then the new year. Yes. Yeah. I think there's still some spots open um, in Jamaica. I was looking on the the, uh, Atman website. It looked like there's a couple spots left. So yeah. Yeah. Oh my gosh. I'll put up links for all those things. If anybody wants to check them out though, but. Okay. Yeah. That's great. Well, thanks so much, Kate, for taking the time to talk to me. It's been awesome just learning from you and, and, and hearing about all your awesome experiences. Well, thank you so much. And I'm excited you were trained in ketamine and um, starting this now. And even with a three-year-old and two-year-old, oh my goodness, that's great. It's full on. (laughs) That's full on. (laughs) It is. And then before you know it, they're in their 20s and uh, they meet people in bars and talk about how their moms are psychedelics. Just a second there. (laughs) I'm sure that's good. Good uh, party conversation for your daughter. Exactly. (laughs) That's awesome. Okay. Well, I hope you have a great rest of your day. All right. Thank you. You too. All right.